happy Imbolc. This is Starry Sky and Witchy Things. I'm your host, Alexis, and this is now the spring segment of season five, the seasons of the witch. If you're new to the show, welcome. Here we talk about star magic, which has always been a big part of the Western esoteric tradition. In the past six or so episodes, we aligned to the rhythm of the seasons and paused to look back on some themes of season one and some bits of the later seasons. We've been looking at common concepts in magic and manifestation and how they trace back to the ancient texts via the Renaissance classic, The Three Books of Occult Philosophy. And we've also looked at the cosmic weather for the year and then between lunations. And that's going to happen every time when there's a new moon and full moon. And that's more or less the gist of what goes on with this podcast. It's like a boozy brunch for women and friends who wanted to discuss deep stuff while not taking themselves too seriously. We have a brain, no need to be self-aggrandizing. And this kind of dichotomy between what women are allowed to be like in our society is the topic of today's episode, which ushers us into the next quarter, spring. And if you are a returning friend, welcome back. I'm so glad you're here and appreciate your continuous support. But before we dive into that topic, I wanted to talk more about the concept of the season and what to expect of the spring segment. And I realized a couple of days ago that I did not plan this, but in human design, the year begins in the fourth quarter and then we enter the first at the end of Pisces season. And it hit me, even if it's obvious, but sometimes things hit you a different way. For the Celts, which if you didn't know is my main ethnic ancestry, spring starts at Imbolc rather than at the spring equinox, which then becomes the apex of spring. And it makes a lot of sense because it shows that the world is waking up from slumber but it's not like we have expected in our society that you wake up with a jolt thanks to a loud noise from an alarm and you're functioning right away. Nature moves at a slow and languid rhythm. Nature does things leisurely. And so this season we are also going to go leisurely, still looking back at some of the foundations while moving towards blooming. I have some guests lined up I'm excited about. And the topics I had planned before they came into my world fit perfectly with what they are going to share. I want to honour the rhythm of spring as a time of fertility and growth, of preparation for the later spring and summer, when the beauty of the earth is in full display. So the theme today is looking over again to the idea of the goddesses of light and shadow, without the rant about the witch wound, which you can catch in the show notes. The last time we covered Athena, Juno, Demeter, Bast, the Morrigan, Freya, Ecate, Morgan Le Fay, and of course, Persephone. But before circling back to Demeter and Persephone, my chance to finally geek out about the Lusinian mysteries after threatening that for ages, I wanted to talk about the goddess celebrated on the holiday that many pagans celebrate today, 
because while she is often seen as a goddess of light, it was not as simplistic. Imbolc is the halfway point between the winter solstice and the spring equinox, and as I said, the beginning of spring for the Celts. It's one of the four Gaelic seasonal festivals that were added to the Wheel of the Year, and the day celebrates the goddess Bridget. It's also not always celebrated on the 1st of February, which is the date of the Saint's Feast Day, and that's few days all the way to the closest full moon to the halfway point between the solstice and equinox is at the correct time historically. So now <clears throat> I was familiar with Bridget and the whole goddess turned saint long before this, but on New Year's Eve, as I was doing my makeup and stuff to go out, I did one of those screenshots from a real type thingy from Kirsty Gallagher, who has a book coming out about goddesses. It was like something along the lines of which goddess wants to connect with you in 2024 or something like that and I got Bridget and if I was like okay fair enough now I, uh, I don't have the man child to take care of anymore I've been in baby fever I hear a certain voice and my ovaries prepare for work but I wasn't exactly sure why I'd want to be working with a goddess associated with midwifery and of course, it's not like I take these random things so seriously, like a sign she's really knocking on my door. But why would I ever resist an excuse to go learn something? If you're new here, I'll answer for you. No, that's more or less all you need to know about me as the host of this podcast. So I took it seriously in the sense of maybe there is something in there for me and started researching her. Of course, I also knew her association with fire, but somehow what my brain jumped to was birth. It turns out there's a lot more to her than either of those things. One thing that struck me when it was mentioned on the Irish Mythology podcast and then again on the Mythopedia page, from which I'm quoting, her invention of keening, a lament for the dead, reflected her status as a goddess of life and death. Bridget also protected cemeteries, which can be found at many of her holy sites. And that piqued my interest, because despite looking very normy, I am an edgy death girly. And this theme of the threshold of life and death, reminiscent of the roles of Hecate for the Greeks, is seen also in her portrayal as a saint. Quoting an essay by Mary T. Condren on herstory.ie, In the lives of Bridget, mythological and Sega themes constantly emerge and are indistinguishable from her legends. At her birth, her mother had one foot inside the door and the other outside, bridging the world of pagan and Christian. Her mother was a slave, her father a free and rich man. She forms a perfect bridge or threshold between the worlds of pagan and Christian, rich and poor, women and men. Bridget in her saintly aspect constantly eludes the attempts of geographers to tame, colonize or neutralize her. And that last line in particular is interesting to me because the author isn't coy about the one theme that most people seem to be skirting around, the dark feminine, quote-unquote, which to many is just the feminine in its full power. And like the feminine before it was sanitized by the patriarchy. And if you're wondering why we're talking about Bridget on a podcast about star magic, I'm getting there. The fire isn't just in her shrine and in her hair. For Bridget is a star goddess, and the sun is the main star we use in magic. 
Since the planetary personifications are derived from the Greek-Roman pantheon, we tend to see the sun as a male deity, but that's not true across all cultures or practitioners of astrology either. In this capacity, in the Latin name Brigantia, she is venerated as celestial. Brigantia, however, has an interesting ramification according to druidy.org. Quote, the warrior maiden Brigantia was and venerated not only as justice and authority in the country, but also as the personification of Britain, as is seen on the Queen of the Realm. There is a story coming from the 12th century in which Merlin is inspired by a feminine figure who represents the sovereignty of the land of Britain. She causes his visions to reach through British history, on, so it is said, to the end of the solar system. Talizin also describes a traditional cosmology inspired by Brigantia. She is central to many heroic myths, especially those concerned with underworld quests and sacred kingship. It seems to relate to her concern for the development of human potential. And returning to the day of Imbolc itself, a quote, to fully grasp the significance of Imbolc, it is necessary to understand the life and death struggle represented by winter in any agrarian society. In a world lit only by fire, the snow, cold and ice of this season literally holds you in its grip, only relaxed with the arrival of spring. Although the Echnos does not arrive until later, and spring is celebrated with Ostara and Beltane, Imbolc is the harbinger and the indication that better times are coming. And that's similar to a consideration I made in season two when talking about Persephone and Demeter and how the goddesses of nature have themes of both life and death with the two things like seem to be a bit disconnected in our society, which is ruled by modern medicine, artificial food production and longevity. And the reason I am discussing the parallels in the goddesses of different religions and culture is that the Eleusinian mysteries initiated their neophytes in stages and that the annual procession began with purification rites and what were called the lesser mysteries that were held uh, agri on the stream of Illysos outside of Athens in the month of Astertion, which was... February or March, depending on the, the calendar. I would have to ask my parents, but I don't believe we went to Eleusis when, which is now Elefsna, when we went on a cruise to Greece. So I'm going to have to rely on what they say on the Encyclopedia Britannica about how in 1832 they excavated the full sacred precinct. And of course, it is the site of the cave that in the myth was where Persephone was abducted and taken to the underworld. And of course, this is all speculation because the point of a mystery religion is that only the initiates know what is going on. But I don't think the choice of when to start the, uh, like the procession was random. To me, it's the journey of Persephone, Kore, the maiden, to queen and possibly mother, which is a whole other topic. And then back again, as we know, the settlement is that she spends six months in the underworld and six months bringing spring with her, so her mother will bring back life to the earth after she took it away in her grave. And I'm not the only person who has picked up on the parallels either. 
of course. And like, I'm not that clever. Like, you know, it's 2024. A lot of people have studied these things for centuries. So the anonymous author of the Atlantic Religion blog has dedicated at least three posts to Bridget, one of which addresses the parallels openly. Now, the parallels do not mean they will influence, not even when we take into account how far Roman occupation went, and with it people like Caesar Augustus, who was an initiate of the mysteries, coming into contact with the autochthonous elites of the British Isles. Another parallel is that the mysteries venerated a trio of female goddesses, the mother and daughter who were the self-begetting quality of nature and death and rebirth, and the Nekate, the wise crone who assisted in the search for the maiden as she herself is one of the psychopomps, so the deities that ferry souls from the world to the underworld and therefore a goddess of the underworld. And while some suggest that the later view of the goddesses as a triple goddess is due to the Celtic influence on the Greek-Roman world, I don't think it matters if it was the result of cultural exchange or just two different societies coming up with similar themes. In fact, the two societies at two opposite ends of Europe both considered this idea significant enough to have major deities attached to it makes it significant for us too. And this may not appear significant to you if you don't use deities in your magical practice, which is fair enough. But I think a broader understanding of the context of the mythology in which the planets and the asteroids, as well as the signs of astrology, came about is key to connect into the practice. And astrology is a big part of how we relate to the stars in star magic. Because one thing that many people seem to miss nowadays about tropical astrology is this connection to the earth and the seasons, which was key to the Greek mind and clearly across the ancient world too. And since the sun sign is one of the main archetypes we use in astrology, as well as the sun itself being a major part of magic, unless you focus on the night, I think exploring the sun goddesses, of which Bridget is only one famous example among many, can help us connect to the more feminine qualities of the archetype when a lot of astrology is male in nature. And the topic of feminine and masculine polarity in astrology is one I'm heavily investigating and perhaps one day I will feel I'm at a point where it's worth sharing my thoughts on it. But I wanted to open a conversation and celebrate the goddess that ushers spring. Thank you so much for listening and until next time, Keep living in wonder.